Welcome to a special edition of the Your Houston Podcast. This is your host, Mario Castillo. Today, we're going to feature our recently held live event, Infrastructure Funding's Lessons Learned, featuring a panel discussion and remarks from Mayor Turner to talk about regional infrastructure needs and what we stand to gain from the recently passed and signed infrastructure legislation. This event focused on bringing together diverse voices and opinions and leaders to discuss how we can obtain more infrastructure funding for local regional projects. Today, you'll hear from Mayor Sylvester Turner, who will talk about the state of regional mobility in Houston. We'll have a presentation from your Houston Truman Scholar, Mike Floyd, from DC to give us an update on all the specifics of the infrastructure bill and what it means for Houston and the region. And then we'll have a panel discussion moderated by myself and your Houston board member, Zaf Tahir, featuring Andy Ickin from the city of Houston, Michael Conklin from Centerpoint Energy, Chuck Wimple from the Houston Galveston Area Council, and Tom Jason from Houston Metro. We'll ask them about their successes and failures obtaining infrastructure funding for local projects and what we can do to maximize the amount of money we pull down from the recent legislation and how it'll impact regional infrastructure and quality of life in Houston. To support our work, consider becoming a member of Your Houston. To learn more, visit www.yourhou.com memberships. To kick things off, we're going to hear from your Houston founder and board chair, Bill Baldwin. First of all, I just want to thank you all for being here. My name is Bill Baldwin, and I'm the founder and board president of your Houston. I know most of you know nothing about your Houston, and we hope that you learn something about us today. But we are a nonprofit, nonpartisan group that works on quality of life issues in advocacy, both in the Houston and the greater Harris County area. And we're just grateful for this opportunity for you to come and hear just one of the many things that we do here uh, in promoting these quality of life issues. So I wanna thank you for being here. I wanna thank especially the mayor and our panelists for being here. I want to recognize a number of our board members that are here. If you're on our board, if you will stand, we have uh, Zaf and we have uh, Beth and we have Russell and uh, who else did we have, Mario? Am I missing anyone? We had uh, uh, myself was on the board. <laughs> Number of people got caught up with things, but uh, we have right now, I think 12 members on our board, a wide variety of people from across the county, across the political spectrum who are coming together to advocate for these quality of life issues. So I just, just wanna thank you all. Want to thank especially today uh, Mike Floyd and for him and what he's done to come together with us for this program. And then especially Zaf Tahir, who has on our board uh, worked tirelessly on this effort more than anyone else. And I want to recognize him for his hard work and effort. And I want to turn the program over to him at this point. Thank you, Zaf. So how did this all start? Uh, I've known Mike Floyd, who was, when he got elected, I think was the youngest elected official in the Houston area when he got elected to Pearland Independent School District. Uh, he got through the honors program at U of H and he got accepted at Georgetown and he won the Harry S. Truman Scholarship. So he called me and he said, you know, I can do anything anywhere. What is your idea? I said, look, I'm on this board of your Houston and can you put this time 
this, this, this resource that you have to do some research on what's going on in DC with this, with this bill, which we are all awaiting, uh, infrastructure bill. And Mike was very agreeable, the board approved it. And we talked to a lot of people in the region. And the idea was not to really generate another infrastructure report or to generate an engineering study. Of course, we looked into that. The idea was how do we bring municipal entities, local and regional, uh, to come to a forum where they can exchange ideas about what is their experience, good or bad, in the past? You know, what mistakes they have made where they have lost funding? Or what strategies that they have used to gain funding? Uh, so this is really a forum for us to see how, as a region, we can move forward. Greater Houston Partnership defines this as a 13-county region. Am I correct, Ginger? Uh, it goes all the way from, like, Winnie, close to Beaumont, to Sealy, and then Conroe to Galveston. So a uh, lot of players uh, interacted with us. Uh, we interacted with city of Houston, various counties, Center Point, uh, Galveston Houston Advisory Council, Greater Houston Partnership. We went to University of Houston, talked to College of Business, College of Engineering. Uh, and they all said, this is a good idea. You know, nobody is doing this. And we are hoping that after today's session with this feedback, Mike Floyd will put together a report, which we will distribute. And we want this to be a continuing forum. So this is not the end of our study. Uh, Mayor Turner is, of course, uh, head of a city, which is the capital of this region, I call it. You know, we have a regional strategy on everything. And Mayor Turner was one of the first elected officials that we talked to. And, and he liked the idea. He said, you know, I want to be part of this. And he graciously accepted uh, to be a, the keynote speaker. We, of course, knew Bill. Uh, well ahead when the bill is going to be signed in Washington, D.C., and when exactly mayor is going to be there, and when is he going to be back. So this was designed and is scheduled for today well in advance. Bill Baldwin had the inside on, on, the, on the schedule. So without further ado, Mayor Turner, my good friend, uh, somebody who champions the region and the city. Thank you, Mayor. Quite frankly, I was I was just going to sit down in the chair and have a cup, <laughs> and just and I'm, I'm, is, is is that okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and just have a just have a conversation. Look, let me number one. Let me thank everyone, uh, Bill, Zap, the board members, um, all that's a part of this. All of you who's here, the panelists who are, who are here this evening. Uh, very timely conversation. Uh, certainly, want to thank the commissioner, the merchant. Uh, who's, who's here as, as, as well. Uh, look, it is ironic the day after the president signs the bipartisan infrastructure bill, we're having this conversation. I told Bill he was talking to the president every day. You know, <laughs> are you going to sign it? Are you going to sign it? He said, yeah, I'm going to sign it on Monday. He said, well, I'm going to have my meeting on Tuesday. So I, you know, just awesome time. But, uh, but uh, it was good to be there on, ye on yesterday. Uh, to to uh, for for the bill signing, it is it is major. We've been talking a long time about uh, resources for infrastructure uh, in this country, and finally, finally, it has happened. And the, and the, and the focus shouldn't just be on 1.2 trillion, but what's but what's actually in it. And so when we were talking about um, roads and uh, bridges, uh, uh, wastewater treatment facilities, you know. 
rail, transit, uh, the port, airports, uh, 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 clean tech, climate tech, clean energy projects. You know, all of those things are, that are included. And the good news is for a state like Texas and specifically for the Houston region, um, there could be significant resources sent in our direction, which would help to accelerate many different projects. You know, I, I've said repeatedly, even when you're talking about the port, you know, right now at the Houston port, they're talking about widening and deepening the port, a billion dollar project. Well, hopefully there's gonna be some monies coming from this infrastructure bill that can help to reduce the cost that we would have to come up with locally. And so, and so that's, that, that, is, that is significant. You know, Metro, Metro Next Plan was passed, uh, but there are dollars in here for transit that can help accelerate uh, projects and can do even more, uh, which is good. And when we're talking about our wastewater treatment plants, we have one of the largest in the country, city of Houston, uh, and we're dealing with a number of issues there. So hopefully, you know, dollars can flow into, into that direction. I told you we have over 16,000 miles of streets in this city. And many of them need to be repaired. So hopefully we can accelerate them on that front. And there are other big projects, but it does call for, you know, it's important for us to have clear priorities, to establish what those clear priorities are, to have community engagement. And then there's a strong emphasis on equity. Okay? And those things have to, have to kind of align. Uh, and with the city of Houston, for example, we've talked about, we, we put out the Resilient Houston plan, our climate action plan, our com a complete communities plan, all of these, those things align because for us, complete communities deal with the equity piece. And then with all of the other initiatives, the Resilient Houston, that takes into account even uh, our grid. And that's, and that's it, that's it, $50 billion in that for the Texas electric grid. I mean, for the electric grid, Texas certainly could use a significant portion of that. And then how we can drill down those dollars even more. So it's just very, very, very timely and it can be transformational, but we have to be ready and we have to have a plan for it. Okay, you just can't say it's there and now send it to us. You know, there has, you have to plan for it. And this is an opportunity for us to kind of, uh, kind of organize, strategize, come together, establish what our priorities are, and then put forth those projects in such a way that this, that this, not only the city but the region is an attractive place for those dollars to land. So, um, and they want to move as quickly as possible, because you can pass something, but until it starts, you know, leaving DC and reaching the respective cities, um, you know, it doesn't mean a whole lot for, for people. So I'm very, very excited about this initial plan. And then uh, we'll see what happens with the Build Back Better. But this is a, a significant step forward. And there are a lot of things that I anticipate will flow forward. Thank you, Mayor. Thank you. Uh, next, we have uh, somebody who's going to be joining us on Zoom. Uh, he is in Washington because he's attending law school at Georgetown. Uh, Mike Floyd was not only the youngest elected person when he got elected, uh, mark my word, I think when he comes back to Houston, he will be elected in some position. Uh, I see him as a future uh, representative of Houston region in some manner. So, uh, Mike, if you are ready, can we go to you? Mike is going to give us legislative update. He knows what this study is all about. 
and he has talked to most of the panelists himself. Are we good to go? Yes, yes, Mike. All right, well, I wish I could be there with you all. Uh, there are two disadvantages. One, um, I can't meet you all in person. And number two, I have to look at myself on the screen. Uh, in fact, on three screens, which is, which is kind of nice. Um, but anyway, it's, uh, it's good to be here. Um, it, right now I'm, I'm in law school and actually we are in what they call hell week, which sounds just about how it feels. It's uh, ne never a, a fun time. But um, one of the reasons that I came to ZAF with this project and it was being funded through the federal uh, government actually was to see how Houston specifically um, could get a leg up on getting some additional federal funding that wasn't normally allocated through the formula that the federal government came up with. Essentially what your Houston wanted to do was to make sure that we were in the front of the line, at least in terms of being prepared for uh, getting these funds um, and being uh, on top of the ball. I did have a PowerPoint, I do have a PowerPoint, but I think it'd be too small on these screens. So I'm just gonna kind of go through it myself. Um, and so you can see more of me as well, which is, um, I apologize for that. So this bill um, is $1.2 trillion, but that number is a little bit misleading. This bill is actually a collection of three pieces of legislation and it has on top of it $550 billion in new spending. Uh, that money will be kind of split up into two different categories. First category will be completely new dollars going to completely new projects. Uh, the other category will be uh, investments in already existing programs. Um, a big portion of this bill, in fact, the majority of this bill um, is very, um, we're unsure how exactly it'll be allocated. Uh, each state has been run through a formula uh, for various different types of infrastructure that are in this bill. Uh, for example, uh, roads and bridges, $110 billion for roads and bridges. That formula was actually um, a, a mixture of density of states, population size, the amount of mileage of federal roads, um, which is was a big factor. Uh, but if you, if you have read the news, you'll know that Texas is set to get um, $27 billion for roads and bridges, uh, but only $500 million through the formula for bridges specifically. That number is also misleading. Um, that is all these numbers I'm about to read to you, I'm gonna just kind of run through them. These are the minimums that Texas is gonna receive over the next five years. So $27 billion for highways, 537 million for um, roads and uh, bridge replacements and repairs, 3.3 billion for public transportation, which is actually a significant chunk of change. Uh, 408 million for electric vehicle charging stations, which doesn't sound like a lot either. 100 million for broadband, 53 million for wildfire, uh, uh, 42 million for cyber uh, security, uh, protection from cyber attacks, 2.9 billion for water infrastructure and 1.2 billion for airports. Um, again, those numbers are misleading because a significant amount of money is actually being allocated uh, for the discretion of the secretaries of energy, uh, transportation, and of course, uh, Mitch Landrieu, who is uh, the infrastructure coordinator. There's gonna be a lot of programs that they're gonna create from scratch that they've already been working on that no one has actually seen yet. Um, in fact, one of the first provisions of this bill. Uh, <laughs> Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yes. Okay, so I'll continue. One of the, the first provisions of the, the there's a little bit of feedback I'm hearing, but one of the main provisions of this bill is uh, um, 
directing the secretary to create new grant programs that we just can't, haven't seen yet. So we'll have to keep our eye on the ball to see exactly what they come up with. Um, now, in reality for Texas, uh, again, so the federal government, for example, has set $27 billion for our roads and bridges, um, but they've also set aside an additional $16 billion uh, that are based off of what in 2009 was known as the Tiger Grants. Essentially what it is, it allows local entities to compete based on the merits of their proposals. Um, there's a, a very important formula that we've seen in the bill for at least the bridges. So the bridge investment program uh, is separate. Again, Texas is receiving $537 million for bridges, but there's an additional $12.5 billion uh, set aside for bridges. And so uh, private public partnerships, local entities, um, you know, cities, localities uh, will be able to apply based on the grant uh, merits of their program for those for those grants. Again, that program, those those grant programs, um, they're based on a formula that two of the most significantly valued factors in those formulas. The first one uh, is community connection, uh, which has been a focus of this administration. Uh, but the second and more important one, of course, is economic development. So any local entity that is applying for any of these grants that is going to come out of this bill, those are the two factors that need to be highlighted the most, community connectivity and economic development. Um, we're going to see uh, $73 billion coming to infrastructure investment in the electric grid, excuse me, in the electric grid. Um, we all know that's a very important issue for Houston, one, because of what happened a couple of months ago, uh, and two, because of the national security implications. Uh, Houston's a strategic port, uh, strategic uh, energy infrastructure pipeline. So we will expect Houston to get a lot of money from that uh, bucket. But again, the first thing that is uh, on the first sentence in the uh, electric grid portion is directing the uh, Secretary of Energy to conduct a study to see where they need to spend the money. Uh, so as Mayor Turner just said, we could be, you know, we could be seeing a lot of the money coming, uh, not just um, in the next couple of years, but even, even longer than that, just depending on how long uh, the federal government get, can get its act together. Um, so that, again, there's just some uncertainty as to what uh, the Secretary of Transportation, Energy, and what Mitch Landry will decide to do. But it's good that we're thinking about this right now. Uh, it's actually really important uh, that we're focusing on, on uh, applying for these grants. And I think that's a perfect segue into hearing from our panelists, um, their experiences, good and bad, in applying for these funds in the past. I know the 2009 stimulus bill uh, was delayed for many, many years in actually getting projects on the ground. This bill, thank God, um, lifts the sunset cap on the FAST 41 program, which lifts some of the uh, regulations for these larger infrastructure projects while preserving the environmental standards. So we're, we're pretty happy about that. Um, and so Zaf, I'm going to turn it back to you or Mario right now so our panelists can, uh, can take it away. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. not easy to finish this study while you're attending law school at Georgetown. So thank you, Mike. Uh, Mario, are you going to introduce the panelists? Yes, actually. Mayor, do you need to well, yeah, What time is it? It's 6 o'clock, sir. If I can just add just yes, one. Please. Because um, what is good is that I think Houston is in a, is in a real good spot. Uh, Mitch Landrew has been appointed. Uh, Mitch uh, Landrew, when he was, uh, was mayor, um, New Orleans. Mitch came here to the city of Houston along with a couple of other mayors during Hurricane Harvey. 
and toured the city with us. And, and he's former uh, head of US Congress of Mayors. So Mitch is a friend. So that's, that's, that's a plus. Uh, when you're looking at Secretary Buttigieg of Secretary of Transportation, um, he is a friend and is planning on coming here anyway. Uh, talked with him on yesterday. Um, so there, there are many friends that we have. Secretary of Energy, uh, Granholm, uh, views Houston as a, as a, as a friend. So uh, I think Houston is in a very good position to help utilize this relationships uh, to really get some things happening on this front. So I'm very excited about that. We just need to come up with the projects, work collaboratively to maximize the opportunities that exist. And I look forward to working with everyone to make that happen. Thank you, Mayor. Thank, Thank you. you. Next, we're going to have our panel discussion. Mario, please. Hello, everyone. My name is Mario Castillo. I'm the executive director of the organization, and I'll be working with Zaf to facilitate our panel discussion. We're going to start by letting the panelists uh, have a couple of minutes to introduce themselves and tell us about their background. We're very appreciative of all of them for being here tonight and sharing their expertise and their wisdom and their time with us. And we're going to start with Chuck. All right, thank you. Well, good evening, everybody. It's great to be here. It's the best commute I've had to be in a long time. I live about four blocks away. <laughs> <laughs> Got a little sweaty on the way over. Just a little bit. But uh, it's great to be here. Thank you for the invitation to be part of the panel tonight. I'm Chuck Wimple. That was a really old photo of earlier. That you all had. <laughs> that was just a little dark brown goatee back then. That was just a little a lot different now. But uh, um, a few things uh, important to understand about the Houston Galveston Area Council of Governments. So we are what could be called the Regional Planning Commission in different parts um, of the country. We handle uh, transportation planning where the region's metropolitan planning organization, where the eight counties centered around uh, Harris County, where the region's workforce board for all 13 counties. Um, as well, we do a lot of environmental work. We do a lot of disaster recovery and resiliency work and a lot of other services as well. And the, the biggest value that we bring is to bring people together to work together as a region. It's been really hard this last year and a half, almost two years, to try and do that via Zoom screens. But as we're all getting back together, we had a board meeting today, almost everyone in person, lots of uh, interest in moving the region forward on flood mitigation, economic development, and other factors that we'll talk about um, in more detail. I'm Tom Jason. I'm the deputy CEO at Metro, and um, I've been at Metro for 20 years. I have um, kind of moved around. I've uh, had a, a number of different roles, and in the last uh, the last several years, I've taken on um, more of a leadership role. But I came to Metro from Washington D.C. Um, I worked um, in uh, previous. Um, presidential administrations. I worked um, a little bit on Capitol Hill and um, I've, I've worked in some um, uh, trade associations. I've, I've kind of found my way in, in Washington and wound up in, in Houston. But um, um, I think there's um, a lot to be said about the process in Washington. And um, as much as things change, things stay the same. As crazy as things are, as far as being um, you know, completely polarized these days, a lot of things remain the same. And so we, um, 
we have a lot of work to do, but um, before I get into anything, I just want to recognize um, one of my bosses who's here in the room, uh, Chris Hollins, who is a member of the Metro board. And um, uh, Chris, we should switch seats if you'd like. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, I, I'm uh, thrilled that, that he's here as well. It's, uh, we have a lot of work to do. We have an we have, um, uh, exciting opportunity in front yeah. of us, but I think we uh, as well positioned as ever. Andy? Uh, I'm Andy Aiken. I'm the Chief Development Officer for the city. My boss just left. <laughs> I, uh, I got a background in the private sector for over 30 years. I worked for Exxon, retired from Exxon. I worked in the medical center for six years. I retired from the medical center. Bill White recruited me for the city uh, back in 2006. So I worked for the city now for 15 years for three mayors. Uh, my role is largely economic development, but very broadly defined. And many of the organizations that I've got responsibility for, whether it's the airport or it's our tax increment zones or it's economic development in a broad sense of the word, all have a very significant role to play in infrastructure and we do everything we can to enhance that. Thank you. Michael. Uh, I'm Michael Kaufman. I'll just start by saying I'm loving the hell out of this sofa. <laughs> if you speak, you get a comfortable seat. So that's what it. If you're noticing, I have pants and a jacket that match Tom Jason and a tie. <laughs> there you go. Well, that, that was going to be one of my things. To succeed. I'm going to say to succeed in this deal, we should all have our ties off. <laughs> <laughs> That's another story. Um, so uh, I work for Centerpoint Energy. I've uh, been there for 13 years. Started out uh, in a gas trading organization, went on to do strategic planning mergers and acquisitions, uh, then went into lobbying for a while. Uh, I was, uh, that's where I co-founded Evolve Houston, also co-founded uh, Real Houston, Renewable Energy Alliance Houston. Uh, today I lead economic development and our EV programs. And uh, I, I do a lot of, uh, I do a lot of study. I've been studying this bill for a long time and I'm really encouraged to see these conversations happening. Uh, very grateful to your Houston for convening. Uh, we've got a lot of work to do uh, all the time, but we've got a significant opportunity in front of us. And so uh, it behooves us to be very intentional about how we go about making the most of it. Thank you. So we've got two prompts. We've got two basically subject matters that we want panelists to focus on. The first one is, what are the successes or failure you have experienced with sustaining infrastructure funding for local projects. And we can start with you, Chuck. Sure. So um, maybe if I could build off a couple of comments from, from Tom and, and Andy to start with. Uh, things change, but they kind of stay the same. And so one of the biggest challenges with anything like this is there'll be an announcement of a lot of money that's gonna be coming. And there'll be a lot of excitement and there'll be discussions and then we'll enter this really weird holding pattern for a while, right? Like, when's the money coming? What's the requirement on it? What's going on? We need the money now. We need the projects now. And, and, and what can happen is there can be um, an impatience as part of that process that can uh, dissolve enthusiasm. So I've seen local governments get all excited and then give up uh, because they're waiting on rulemaking or they're waiting on the final uh, you know, parts of the, of, of the funding to come out. Um, and, and the ones that are the most successful are the ones that, that 
have a clear understanding of what they need to do and articulate it, have a priority and also a backup in the hip pocket in case things change and, and just stay really focused. Um, the biggest challenges that a lot of our communities have, and it may be different this time, is there'll also be a lot of money, but there'll be a local match requirement. So it'll pay for most of the project, but not all of it. And that not all of it can really be hard and that can get in the way um, for folks, especially in an environment like we have now where there are supply chain issues, inflationary um, costs, variety of things can actually end up short circuiting a project even when the funding is brought in. And so again, the funding is, is, is kind of the start. Um, and then lastly, uh, while the numbers sound big at the national level, some of those numbers didn't sound real big, uh, even though they do. And uh, one of my first experiences working on infrastructure was helping allocate out across the region uh, Hurricane Ike recovery funds. And that was a very interesting process, uh, unenviable job of trying to allocate money across 13 counties, about 100 cities, not enough for anybody. Um, and if someone would have told me then, you have $2 billion to distribute across the county and you're not going to make a single person happy, I would wow. <laughs> but that's kind of where you end up with this. And so the reason I bring that to light is the most successful ways to secure the money are to be clear in your project and to be unified. Because if we end up with 50 different proposals coming from this region for the same grant program, that's going to be a hard, hard one for us to really compete. Thank you. Unity of purpose, huh? Yeah. Tom? So um, I'll just say this as, um, you know, we, we strike out all the time. We go after grants time and time again, and it's very frustrating. Um, you're never quite sure whether it was, um, you know, what exactly brought you down. We've had some success. Um, our biggest success would go back to our full funding grant agreement for the rail line extensions that we um, we built uh, several years ago. But I'll tell you, those that process takes ten to fifteen years from start to finish, and and it wasn't easy. I mean, one of the biggest challenges going through that was a divided uh, delegation. Um, not we weren't just divided. We, we had literally um, uh, significant confrontations going on between our delegation members. Um, we had language that was inserted um, by um, a former congressman who um, um, basically made it illegal for um, the federal government to fund rail projects in Houston, Texas. Uh, so we, we were able to overcome all of that. We did receive about a $900 million uh, grant for these two projects. But, but what was frustrating for us is when, when we entered that program, most of the competing projects were funded at about 80%. Soon thereafter, as we worked our way through the, the, the start of the um, process, which is kind of the entry into uh, project development, and worked our way through the different steps in, in what's called a New Starts um, uh, Capital Investment uh, Grant Program um, process. It, there's a limited pool of funds, you're competing, uh, there's a, it's, it's discretionary, and you basically have to uh, go through some incredibly stringent hurdles to get there. 
by the time we made our way through, we were basically told, well, there's only so much money left to be distributed in the program. Take it or leave it. You, if you want it, you can take it and we'll do you, your grant. And, um, and it left us somewhere around 50%. Um, so now you have a situation in a program that has discretion to go up to 80, but yet we ended up at 50. Um, sadly, the program came down under the previous administration to below 40%. And I have to say at some point, when you get below 30%, you have to wonder if it's even worth it because of all of the, um, you know, the process and, and the hurdles you go through to get it. So we're, we're very excited about this new bill, don't get me wrong. Yeah. Um, the $3 billion that was mentioned is, is really um, uh, formula funds that we get on a, on a regular basis anyway. We, we will be going after much larger pots that are um, what we call new starts and they're discretionary. And we'll, we are trying to expedite our way through that. About uh, two months ago, we got uh, accepted into the pipeline for this process for what we call our university line. It's um, a very significant project. It's in the $1.5 million billion range. It's um, uh, very cross-cutting across the city. If you haven't heard about it, um, let me know. I'd love for you all to be informed. But it is, um, it is unfortunately stacked up against about 40 other projects around the country. And we're likely to be faced with a well, we only have so much money. Yep. How do yep. we spread it around? Yep. How do we get there? Now we've pursued provisions to make it a um, requirement that these funds go out at 80%. We have not been successful yet, um, but it, is, um, it has been a very frustrating uh, process leading up to this bill because uh, we had that provision in the house bill that, that went away. There's been a lot of uh, tosses and turns, but. But the truth is, it's, it comes back to, um, do you have the political support? So do you have your, your base, your community? Do you have your, your local elected officials? Do you have your local business community? And, and then do you have your delegation all lined up? And if you do, you can, you can help overcome some of those challenges and ideally, you know, they mentioned some opportunities to speed some things up. I hope that's doable, but it, at some point we've got to have the community impacted and the community in the, um, in the area um, either supportive or not. Uh, and if they're supportive to go through it and then, and then get the entire delegation in. And that includes our senators. And, um, and I'll just be honest, we, we've had challenges um, getting the entire delegation. We've, we've got a grant request in right now to fund 20 electric buses, working very closely with Michael and, um, and Evolve. But um, I have to say, even though we have six or seven members of Congress, uh, one US Senator, a mayor, a county judge, and quite a few others expressing support, I am uh, getting bad feelings about whether or not we're gonna get that grant. And it's, um, it's a $20 million grant request under what was um, what was called the RAISE program. I'm not sure where they're at now with the terminology, but um, I feel like we should have heard something by now. We're heading into the final 
weeks of the, um, the program's um, kind of timeline. And um, it, it's amazing that um, we, are, we are not, now I, I hope I'm wrong and, and they're gonna send us a, you know, a note in a couple of days that says you've received uh, $20 million. But I, I, um, I just feel like um, something's missing. So um, uh, stay tuned, we, we fight um, for every dollar we can find now. And there's a new world as we're starting to focus. In the past, we focused heavily on these, these discretionary dollars I mentioned on new starts, but we're now opening it up to what can we do for electric vehicles and not just electric vehicles, electric uh, facilities. We, we can't just bring in uh, buses. We've got to have a place where we can charge them. And, and then by the way, there's a workforce issue. Our folks right now don't know what to do with an electric bus, you know? So um, it's kind of like me with a new iPhone. Um, yeah. I don't know exactly how it works. So yeah. it takes time. Okay. Sorry. Andy, you know more about successes and failures than anyone else in the street. So please share. So let me give you a good example that actually relates to the previous environment. Um, working through HGAC, we had had a tax increment zone. I can't yep. stress enough the importance of a tax increment zone because what it is is committed funds. And we can use it as matching. Yep. It's a secure property tax element. doesn't affect the city's budget because of REVCAP. But uh, Chuck knows I'm going to mention Shepherd Durham. Yep. And Shepherd Durham is one of the most significant projects. And frankly, in our own public works department, it was dismissed as not an important project. And we went through the transportation people on that. And yet I had advocates in the TERS itself, TERS 5, Memorial Heights TERS, yep. that were absolutely convinced. And if you look at the design of the project, it's, it's actually in two phases, but it mattered that we had the matching funds from yep. the TERS. And then HGAC has come through on the second phase for another yep. source of funding. But it's a matter of, first of all, on successes, finding committed advocates for the project, people that are passionate and believe in the project and are willing to work through the frustrations and the disappointments that happen. And that's you. I mean, it's that's people in the local community. Yes, tax increment zones have to spend their money within the boundaries of that. That's the law we have to deal with. But we can find projects. And quite frankly, we're using them in the North Canal project for drainage projects and that same tax increment, the, the tax increment zone there is also providing some bridges at Yale and Durham. So those are all good cases and finding advocates make sense. I'll give you a case that failed and it actually, I heard the, the reference to the Tiger Grant. Many years ago, we tried to develop a project that uh, developed the Hardy Arts. Uh, an area that was totally undeveloped and we wanted to build a bridge across the railroad tracks that extended San Jacinto and allows for more opening up of the near north side. We still need that yep. today, but we have succeeded in developing ideas and but we're putting multifamily projects there and we're heading ourselves towards a, a congestion problem under the Hernandez Bridge. There are other interesting ideas that are emerging on technology uh, we're talking to, to Metro now. There's been a long felt desire to create a circulator of sorts in the medical center. What is it can we do there? We've actually begun some conversations just interesting with the boring company on potentially some uh, high technology. And frankly, at the airport now, 
we actually have a very interesting proposal to extend the subway train down there into an area that would allow us to have remote parking through a subway system. You got to think differently. And in the case of the airport, I've got a group that's passionate about the airport. It's an enterprise fund. It runs on its own. But when you can find people passionate about a project and want to do it, that becomes the cornerstone of whatever you want to do. So thank you. Thank you, Andy. Uh, Michael, successes, failures? Sure. And hopefully we can find people who are passionate about projects because if you're tracking one of the themes here, it's a lot of money, but it's also a lot, a lot of work. Yeah. Uh, and that's why Tom says if it's only 30%, why are we even going to do all this work? It might cost us in terms of effort, and that would even be work. So, you know, I can point to some successes that uh, we've had at Centerpoint Energy, um, folks that I've worked with, programs. I, I would say just, I'll keep it simple. Uh, probably our most successful project that I was ever involved in was the DOE grant for the smart grid. Uh, and, you know, it, it, it wasn't complicated what we did. Uh, we, we proactively looked at an opportunity we were internally coordinated around what we wanted to accomplish. We had people who were passionate and we committed funding to get it done. Uh, and then we were aligned with the goals of the DOE with that program. So when they took a look at our proposal, they saw it as a good return on their grant dollars. Uh, so it, that one went very well. We had this great smart grid, I don't know, if you know, uh, that's what allows them to turn down your thermostat. Also allows them to allows us to switch the lines uh, during hurricanes so that things stay up. Uh, people travel from all over the world to look at our smart grid technology here. Um, you can do it with your phone, with your iPhone. I'm teasing. I've heard. What I've seen not work very well is uh, I've been personally involved with uh, the uh, the Volkswagen dollars for mm -hmm. Texas, uh, yep. and uh, you know, so EVs is a big part of what I do. And we're also excited. There's all this money, and then nothing happens. And why? Because we we spend all this time tracking the date when it's going to be released. And we're predicting yep, the date exactly. and then it gets released. And then we don't have any projects ready to go. And we're trying to figure out how you put projects together yep. and finding out that it's actually a ton of work to do that. So if you looked at the school bus round, it didn't even all get uh, applied for. If you were hoping we were going to get electric school buses, not a single one, not a single application even went in. Uh, we had level $10 million of level two charging for electric vehicles. I don't know what that, I, I, I think that it may have actually gotten well subscribed towards the end, but for most of it, it just sat there at like $1.5 million because nobody knew what to do with it. Uh, and so the, the lesson is that, you know, on, on that point, it's really important to be proactive. And Chuck, you, you talked about like, there's, there's this cycle of anticipation yeah. and then but we don't, we don't really know what to do because we don't really have a plan. It's just like when the funding comes, then we're going to do something. And right. then and the, wrong the funding yep. comes and yep. we're like, what are we going to do? Yep. And we're competing with uh, states that are highly organized. Like uh, California, they have, uh, they, they have top-down organizations that are you know, sort of organizing the planning on all this. We're trying to do it 
from the ground up with people in a room like this who are sharing passion and something has to tie us all together. Yeah. And so what has to tie us together is some sort of a, a common vision, a common sense of purpose. And somebody has to maintain that. So it, it's, it's real work if we want to have big successes. Now, I don't question that we'll have some successes. I, I think it was you, Chuck, that said that it wouldn't look good if we have 50 different applications right, yeah. for the same project. What we need is we need a common understanding about what the opportunity is. Yep. Uh, we need a common understanding about what the funding agencies are looking for in your uh, economic development and community connectivity. Uh, we need, we have all kinds of resources uh, that we can put towards this. And if we don't talk to each other, we're gonna pay a hundred different consultancies to yep. go do the same work. Uh, we could have just brought that all together and paid one and gotten a master plan or something. Uh, uh, so, you know, we need to be proactive, we need to be uh, internally coordinated, and we need to be aligned with uh, the goals of the, uh, the funding organizations. And I, I, love, I love the way the thinking is, uh, economic development, we're talking about $1.2 trillion, which uh, our fair share, I always like to take about 2%, so that's about $24 billion. Break that down into jobs, somebody said workforce, that's uh, 800000 job years at the average uh, uh, income for a use of 800,000 job years. So that, that's a huge boon. We've got all these people uh, who are looking for work. We've got, uh, Mayor said, complete communities. We've got uh, uh, the climate action plan. We've got resilience. We have sort of, I, I think, good positioning uh, to put forward a plan for an economic transformation that would be equitable, sustainable, and resilient, but somehow the organization and the leadership has to come because it's not just going to happen on its own. Thank you. So we're going to have Mario uh, approach you with prompt number two. After that, we'll have four leading questions and then we'll open up. So my request is to limit your response to prompt number two to two to three minutes. Mario. Yeah, we're yes, at 6.30, so we're good. For prompt two, we'll start with Chuck again. Uh, thinking about maximizing how we draw down as much money as possible for projects, what are some strategies or best practices you would suggest that we could utilize to maximize the funding and then maybe even get more? Sure. So, um, great question. A couple ways to look at it, um, and it ties into the earlier uh, discussion. If you have a great project that can fit into different types of funding, there's a better chance it's going to get funded, like Shepherd Durham. If if the federal rules come down, I got a little nervous when I heard they're going to create a whole bunch of new things, a whole bunch of new programs. Because to me, it's like, oh no, they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna constrain it to, you know, we're gonna, we're going to fund um, purple and gold. Uh, EV um, stations, you know, you know, you know, some say that it won't be quite that bad, but you know, but it'll be something really specific as opposed to finding a way to influence the federal rulemaking and the development of discretionary funds to have the maximum flexibility, establish some criteria and some priorities, but allow those local priorities to really guide the best projects um, coming in. So having some influence and not just waiting for the rules to come out. And then I think developing a, in a, an agreement for lack of a better term, or at least some consensus across the region as to what the best 
um, things are that we should be going after so we can get people passionate about it um, and, and pursue those funds is gonna be the way to go. When I said it wouldn't be good to have 50 applications, that would be 50 different applications that aren't connected or coordinated in some way, right? That looks like we don't have, yeah, they're actually competing against each other as opposed to working together. So it'd be fine to have multiple applications if they're all going in the right direction and for the right priorities, if you look and see how they connect. We tend to fall behind other areas like California um, in that regard. So getting our act together to say, these are the most important things for us to go after um, and then working at the federal level to have that maximum flexibility. Thanks. So um, I, I'm going to just be blunt. You know, we um, we've got to have our elected officials held accountable. Um, we we um, we need to let people know that these things are important to us. So we can work our way through. We'll get into yep. the tip, and you know, we'll work right. our way through right. the um, the process. We ideally we have our way of getting around uh, whether a project is um, shovel ready or not. Um, we like to use the term uh, shovel worthy uh, because yep. shovel weather, yep. you know, there, there's a couple of different ways to get there, but, but if we can get there, we need to demonstrate support and it's got to be important to our senators and our uh, representatives in Congress. And, and they've got to hear that. Um, when, when we talk to them, you know, they're hearing from Metro. Okay. So it's important to you guys. Well, if they're not hearing from anybody else, yep. it's not really yep. an issue. What they do hear is a lot of noise from people who are anti, 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 and they, they tend to not be for anything. I think they're looking for a way to say, we're hearing from the community and they're they're really supportive. And so I, I really think it's important to start really speaking up. I mean, you, we, we say, well, you know, well, this senator is not gonna do anything or this representative is not gonna do anything. Well, if we keep saying that, that's for sure. Um, I think we've gotta make noise and make sure that they are expected to do something, to be supportive. So. And, and we tend not to do that, I would say, as a region. Yeah. Yeah. I'll add that. Here, Houston is a nonpartisan organization that will work with any elected official for you know the advancement of projects that will better our region. And would agree with what was said there. Andy, I'll just add that uh, as you find advocates for projects, yep. don't lose sight of the fact that you'll need a local source of funding. Yep, true. And just coming up with good ideas that make wonderful, we're not going to get a hundred percent source of funding for yep. whatever we have. And we need to decide, you know, who's going to carry the water on this, yep. and, and whether it's city government through a bonding, and we defer other CIP projects, or it's through a tax increment zone, or let's think through whether some public-private partnerships yep. that we can use. But don't lose sight of the fact that we're not going to get anywhere. Now, Metro is different with your bond issue and things, but in our case, we need to be totally aware that that's going to be a requirement. And we can't discover it as we're into the project part of this. I'm going to come back to the, the theme of coordination, uh, which keeps coming up. And I think that being coordinated as a region uh, is how we maximize our success. And I'll, I'll go back to my three things that, that I think about as proactive, coordinated, and aligned. So coordinated is a challenge. 
because it requires ongoing maintenance of enthusiasm between people. Uh, we've got uh, our, our public leaders, uh, as, as Tom mentioned, we've got the business community. And I think that our elected officials will be more likely to support us. And I'm, I'm talking about our, our representatives, more likely to support us when they can, if, if they saw alignment uh, in Houston, coordination around things that we want. If, if the, if Mayor Houston, uh, Mayor Houston, Mayor Turner, <laughs> if Mayor Turner uh, were, were to say that for the, the sake of economic development and community connectivity, we want to create this historic plan. And just imagine for a moment that the 13 uh, county judges said, we agree with that too. Uh, and then the, uh, the, all of the corporates down at the GHP said, love in this direction, economic development helps my business. I'll get on board with that. Uh, if you have that kind of coordination and started to have a common voice uh, around some things that we want to accomplish for the sake of economic development, for the sake of community connectivity, uh, for the sake of sustainability and resilience, uh, I think that uh, it would put us in a very different space. And uh, we need to find a source of uh, ongoing work to carry that through. Um, so I would start with, with leadership. If, if we could have that, I was talking to Mayor Turner earlier, uh, if we could have a proclamation, you know, saying, setting the direction and, and just try to get the other 13 county judges on board, that, that would be a great project for somebody to uh, set the tone. Uh, business falls in line when they, when they see a direction. Uh, so I, I think that would be good. I think we could, if we could demonstrate the enthusiasm, I think we could unlock funding at places like the Houston Endowment, uh, who would be willing to pay uh, some people to come in and project manage, uh, you know, creating something that looked like a plan so that we have 50 projects that talked yeah. to each other yeah. uh, and came up yeah. with a, a big impact instead of 50 projects yeah. that didn't talk to each other. Yeah. Uh, but I really think that it starts with, uh, you know, being proactive, which is what everybody is doing here tonight. But now we need to get to coordination. Yeah. And, and I think leadership is what we're looking for right now. Yeah. And that's, you know, something that we're actually addressing right now at the Houston Galveston Area Council. And such an effort like you're talking about could rest well there because that's all 13 counties, 120 cities. Um, with regards to flood mitigation, we have a water resources committee that's been looking at multi-jurisdictional flood mitigation projects in our region. Harris County has a lot going on, a lot of capacity, outlying areas, not as much. And for the first time, we actually have a list of projects for the region that aren't just individual projects here and there, but they're, they're put together in a cohesive way. And the body agrees that these are the priorities, right? So it can be done. Yeah. And then you end up with good projects that can go find the funding as opposed to all of us have been involved with stuff that's failed. Ooh, there's a new program that's going to fund this specific thing. Let's get a project put together that's going to do that. And then it just, it, it just doesn't work. And so sure. I think that that's, that's, that's a really good way. So let's get the discussion moving forward. We have now, we're going to take some questions and answers from the audience. The first person I want to call on is Mr. Hassan Sayyid. He's the Chief uh, Operating Officer for EHRA. Houston just doesn't need infrastructure. It actually designs and builds infrastructure for the whole world. So we would like to hear from you and maybe allow you to ask the question. Sure, yeah. Uh, so a common question would be that you are a GAC, so you put your hands in everything, but you know, from Metro and then 
in center point. So if, if someone was to ask you that, hey, what are your top two projects that you would want funding for this? To dream projects that you think that's going to benefit the greater Houston area, dirty economy. Go ahead, Tony. Top two projects. You guys like to start with me. Let's, 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 <laughs> you can start with me. No, no, no. No, no. It's a good question, and that definitely puts me on the spot. But uh, I'm going to have a crack at it. I don't know if I can say what the most impactful project is going to be. I know what I would start with because it's what I've studied and what we would, it's what we need for EV infrastructure. And I'm not just talking about the cars that you and I drive to and from work. I'm talking about all of the dirty old trucks down at the port that are making the air dirty, that giving people asthma and keeping them out of school. I'm talking about the school buses that kids are sitting in and they're exposed to 12 times the pollution as you and I are. I, I know that if we were to just grab our fair share of EV funding, EV and the grid support, okay? So not just the EVs, the EV charging and all of the grid support, everything that's tied to EV, if we grabbed our 2%, that's $600 million for the region. Uh, we could upgrade our transmission and distribution infrastructure. Uh, we could put charging stations uh, uh, throughout our city, including uh, it. Uh, complete communities uh, where we're upgrading some old infrastructure while we're doing that. Uh, we could get a ton of uh, clean school buses here. Uh, we could uh, do some great things for transit. And you know, I, I know transit's even connected, learned they're connected to Houston B-Cycle, so we could probably get some money for Houston B-Cycle uh, so that we could get people on bikes. Bikes, bikes in Houston, Houston's often rides bikes. But Houston B-Cycle has electric bicycles now. And if you haven't tried an electric bicycle, it is the only way to bicycle. <laughs> so I think that I focus on uh, EV. And if I get a chance later, maybe I'll come up with another. That's all I got. Andy, talk to uh, projects. And I'll make Laura smile on this North Canal project. We need to make the North Canal project happen. It has a significant impact. We're continuing to piece pieces together. We're continuing to have to please a multitude of constituencies to make it happen. But in terms of the impact on the community, that is the most single, and it's been talked about for 40 years. And it's an easy answer. John? North Canal. <laughs> <laughs> Even though they consume one of Metro's kind of centerpieces for our future. Not negotiating price. With a, uh, you know, it's, it's our, um, it's our facility that they really cut across in order to uh, make the North Canal work. And, and Metro is um, committed to working with um, the city and everybody involved. But it's, um, it, it's a challenge because it really is the ideal centerpiece for our future um, electric bus program. So if we get into um, you know, the, the bus procurements as we anticipate, um, you really need to have a central downtown location to be able to charge. That facility is um, ideal for that. So we're working with everybody to make that work and to, and to bridge our, um, our lost space with, with some made up space. So we'll, I think we'll get there. But, um, you know, between the, the um, shift to electric vehicles, the benefits are tremendous. The experience on, on an electric bus is, um, is a much more pleasant experience. They're not only 
cleaner, but they're quieter, they're smoother. Everything about them is a better experience. So ideally, if, if we could make uh, you know, huge inroads there, I think it would um, make the, the passenger experience a better uh, overall experience. And the, and the other, um, we've got this project that's lined up right now, and it's, it's, um, it may be too good, ironically. The projections for the ridership that we're looking at on this university line that runs from um, beyond Hillcroft Transit Center across town, it's the, the old fight about Richmond or not and, and all that stuff, but we bring it all the way around across uh, at Wheeler and up through um, uh, the northeast side of town. It is a very productive route and, and the early uh, indications are that the ridership uh, may surpass what we can do with a bus rapid transit. So we are already looking at, can we make a bus um, connect to another bus with, uh, with remote technology? So we're, we're looking into how we implement a, an advanced system prior to it even being available. So what, what does that mean? Probably means a train might make more sense. However, the cost of a train in, the, in that space would be significantly higher. And so we're, we're just still working through our way. But you mentioned the Boring Company. We're, we're looking at, uh, we've had a couple of conversations with them. They may be able to solve some of the bigger challenges on that round. So, especially yes. Just, uh, two top sure. projects. So two top projects that I'm gonna hedge a little bit and not do a hyper-specific project. But I would say right now, the Houston Galveston Area Council has a list of multi-jurisdictional flood mitigation projects that approaches $9 billion and affects multiple counties and multiple cities. They range anywhere from $20 million in need to a billion or two billion each. Whatever the funding that comes, we can fit projects in that'll make a difference, reduce loss of life, reduce property damage, change the image of our region and keep that important collaboration of true regionalism moving forward by having some success on that. That's the, that's the first one. The second one was a toss up between our regional broadband um, initiative to get 100% coverage in our region and projects, uh, a flexible source of funding to increase the reliability of our transportation network, how we get around and how quickly we can get around and improve safety. The reason why traffic is back, it's worse than it was before um, uh, COVID and safety is way worse. We normally log about 630, we lose about 360 people a year in our region on our roads. We're on track to be closer to about 870 this year. So whatever we do to reduce loss of life, better ways to get around and not have to say, it could take me 30 minutes to an hour to get there. Um, to where it's more like 30 minutes to 40 minutes. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Hassan, real quick, from engineering and construction point of view, top two projects for this region. Oh, How do you look at it? So, I mean, with everything that you guys said, that's, that's totally legit. And I mean, like, what you said, for mitigation, that's the yeah. Dr. Harvey, that's been, yeah. you know, everybody's mind. Uh, uh, one thing that uh, we have looked at it is it's a uh, completion of Grand Parkway. That's a, that's a for, for the bigger region purposes. Sure. And, and, and from, from economic development point of view, I would say that uh, somehow utilizing Port of Freeport, that's, uh, so yeah. 36A would be 
would yeah. be one of the deals that can that can do uh, 59 bypass trucks from Freeport. They don't have to go through town. If Grand Parkway is blurred, they can come to Grand Parkway and then just go. Because Freeport, south, southeast, and the users are north, northwest. It's, it's, you know, how, do you, how do you do that? So, yeah, that's it. Next up, we have a question from your Houston board member, Russell Edison. Uh, yeah, so um, we hear a lot about what the business community can do, but like as a person who works in a nonprofit and a community facing organization, what can nonprofit, what can the nonprofit community and community organizations do to help support some of the projects that you're all talking about and will help bring some of the funding down to down to Houston? Why don't we start with Andy on this one? Give Michael and Chuck for you. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, a lot of my work is not infrastructure related to the nonprofit. We use nonprofit, certainly with our homeless programs and things like that. They're very much involved in this. In terms of infrastructure, nonprofit world has helped us a lot in various community associations on bringing communities together to have dialogue with the community. So we just don't pounce a project on top of it. So working with us and through us on community engagement projects is always a way to not go through the inevitable amount of adversarial processes that you go through in creating a project in the first place. So the community outreach that nonprofit traditionally is far better than government would be very helpful to us. Anyone else? So, so I'll just say, your voice actually matters. And so Absolutely. you can speak up, your organization can. Um, and you, you know, it, even though you think, well, they're not gonna listen, they're not gonna hear me, um, you'd be surprised and email a letter um, showing up at a town hall meeting or, or whatever it is and saying, you know, Ma'am, sir, this is important to us as a community. Those things start to build as a drumbeat, if you will, if it's consistent and it happens, it happens again and so forth. So, you know, it, it, I don't think people are really dug in. I just think they are only hearing no, 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 or, you know, uh, th that kind of thing. I just think that they need to hear more of what you would like to see. So I think it's um, I think it's important to speak up. Um, you know, I, Andrea French leads a group called Transportation Advocates. Um, I know she's thinking that she's going to start an effort with nonprofits and yeah. <laughs> other groups to help build that voice. So and Baytran's going to help with yeah. Baytran is right there exactly. You know, I would I, I would just add to that. Please engage and come with an open mind and attend some of like Baytran and TAG and come to HGC and Metro and just learn more about what's going on because that voice that Andy mentioned, that, that bridge is so important because sometimes you may see the benefits differently than we might communicate them or you might see issues differently. And having that, having that interaction is so important. We don't do enough. We're, we're kind of known. I work with my peers across the country. and We're kind of known as the region that, that doesn't speak up much, maybe done some negative things from time to time, but we just kind of, we're kind of flat, you know, 
And so finding a way to have some constructive feedback and engagement would be fantastic. Wonderful. Uh, now I'm going to move on to Commissioner yes, Kendi Merchant. Oh, yes, sorry. please, please. Uh, oh, yes. So not, not a ton of novel content to add. I, I want to recognize that you're you're convening an important conversation tonight. Yeah. So, so that is already constructive. Uh, this conversation needs to continue to be convened, and I love HGAC as a convener for that. But I, I think that education and engagement is still a really important role. Uh, so if, if your Houston can be bringing people, educating them about what's happening in the process, where Andy said we need all kinds of enthusiasm to carry things through, uh, people's voices being heard. So I think that education and engagement mission, uh, understanding how the process is working, cheering the process on, I think all of that can be uh, incredibly productive as we go forward. Because uh, as you've heard tonight, it is a long drawn out and it's a bit of drudgery involved. Uh, so it would be nice if, if uh, we could have some fun too. Yeah, and that having us come see you, I think is, is <laughs> critical, yeah. Yes, so we want to hear from Fort Bend County, one of the most diverse counties, fastest growing, uh, certain Houston region. Uh, we have Commissioner Kendi Merchant, Commissioner, thank you for coming and participating. Thank you for, what would you like for to... inviting me. So a little bit jealous of your five minute commute because it took me over an hour to get here. Yeah. <laughs> I don't always have that. I just have to have it tonight. Yeah. Um, but thank you panelists for coming on and spending your evening with us. Um, my question is something that's been frustrating me as a county commissioner. Uh, I go around every day talking about how potholes there's no red potholes and blue potholes yep. right it's just infrastructure everybody drives on yep. the roads but it seems like funding projects politics gets in the way and i feel like Fort Bend county we kind of get the squeeze even it's like okay the republicans in austin don't want to give us money and then if there is money sent into the region harris county and houston like grab it all and then we're like going we're like sitting there, well, what happened we didn't get anything so my question to you guys is there, is there a way to get politics out of this or navigate around the politics to help? I mean, we're the ninth largest county in Texas and you know, we have issues getting funding. So important question. I, I think transparency in the processes on how those region and come out to the communities is critical. And it's something that I'm committed to for our transportation policy council. And our new director, um, Craig Rayborn, who came on board um, recently, is working very hard at the scoring criteria for how the projects are scored to have that be very transparent and have those important discussions to where if the political pressures are there, they're very, they, they become perhaps very obvious and easier to talk about than if they're not um, open and, and, and obvious on that. And I think it comes back to really saying what needs to happen in our region is not, it, our region is more than one city. It's more than, you know, I, I have a ton of respect for the mayor who was sitting here, I let the chair cool off a bit for him, didn't it? You know, after he left, you know, you know, and all, you know, you know, you know, you know, ton, you know ton of respect for, for Houston don't, and, and all that, but, but we need to be thinking what's good for the region. A lot of folks come from Fort Bend and to Houston, Harris County, vice versa every day. So finding a way to, to, to just have people understand why isn't the funding going to certain areas. Is, is the best way to start. You didn't see me in any of those pictures in <laughs> Washington, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I, I would say um, for uh, Fort Bend County, 
uh, and I know you have some folks there, but don't don't just assume somebody's watching out for you. Yeah. Go get engaged at the MPO or the, the, yeah. the here it's called the Transportation Policy Council. Yep. Uh, you, you don't have to be a person sitting at that table in order yep. to be engaged. Uh, that's where a lot of that activity takes place. Um, you, you know, there's a subgroup and a subgroup uh, below that, and there's um, the TAC, and there's there's a couple of different levels. But I'd study that a little bit and and figure out where you want to fit in, because um, if if I were um, if if I would, I tell we have. 13 small cities that are also part of Metro's yep. uh, uh, service area. And we tell them everyone get involved <coughs> in the TPC because that's where a lot of these decisions are made. And, and you know, they, you're assuming that somebody else is watching out for you. You can't just make that assumption. But I, I would just offer something that I hear a lot in my role. And it makes me wonder if I'm getting it, if we're getting it about right is I will hear you give all the money to Houston and Harris County, and then Houston and Harris County say, you give all the money to those outlying communities. You know, <laughs> you know, you know, you don't give enough to us. And so, th so there's there's an actual tension there, which I think can be good for the region, but if it becomes overtly political, then, then that's an issue. The so ironic part see, right yeah. now is that the TPC, <clears throat> the surrounding counties are saying, yeah, build that I-45, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. the in, in, yeah. Houston and Harris County are saying, hang on, hang on, we got to make sure that yeah. we're, you know, mindful of the community and so forth. And, and so the, the fight is reversed. It's um, yeah. the outer county saying, yeah. spend that $9 billion on build that. I, it's, it's pretty fascinating. To watch. But, but we'll come visit you too. And I just add that, uh, uh, that certainly with part of Fort Bend and Houston yeah. and the work that we're able to do with Brady. Um, yep. projects and that kind of demonstrates the ability to do partnership projects one way or another and that that's been an integral part of the city in that whole power Clark and other area down there and i'm not going to miss an opportunity to speak to a commissioner of the most ev owning county <laughs> i did not know yeah, on, on a per capita basis um, so one of the things that when i when I came into economic development, I started by looking at how we're performing against other regions. And I was surprised at how poorly we perform against other regions, especially Dallas, roughly same population. Um, you look at our growth over the last 10 years of their growth, and like we have a poor fire meeting, but we're not. Uh, so uh, I, I spoke to some of uh, my colleagues down at the Texas Economic Development Corporation, and they, they had a really good point. They said, and it goes to your point, Chuck, about the silent region. Yeah. Uh, the Metroplex kicks our ass. Uh, and the reason they do is because they all understand that uh, when it comes to economic development, you know, we'll, we'll compete against each other all day long. But yep. when it comes down to landing the project, at the end of the day, we all pull together this common mission and get it done. And that's why Amazon looked at them, didn't really look at us. That's why they got uh, Rivian. Uh, we didn't get rid of it. That was almost a Fort Bend County project. I don't know if you know that. Uh, would have been the biggest economic development project that we've seen in that least a decade. And so, you know, I'm, I'm coming back to like if, if coordination, leadership. Uh, I, I think that we need better leadership at the Greater Houston Partnership. Uh, somebody who knows how to uh, 
corral all of the all the corporate stakeholders, the public and private stakeholders, uh, towards a common vision. And to say it, it's not about red and blue. You know, it's it's a when when Fort Bend County grows, Harris County grows, and vice versa. And when the outer counties yep. grow, all those exactly. people live somewhere. Yep. Uh, so it, it it benefits us all. And maybe I have a little bit of unique perspective on this because I do economic development not for a region. Center Point is kind of everybody. So I'm always trying to figure out how do we make everybody grow because that's what's going to work best. So I think it comes back to leadership. I think that a lot of that resides with the Greater Houston Partnership and maybe. Uh, some other organizations, but they're kind of taking us to figure ahead. And I think if we could get that kind of coordination there, I think we could compete on that Metroplex level. And I think that we would see ourselves uh, uniting behind uh, a lot of these companies. It just makes so much sense, like red and blue populace. It's populace. You know, yeah. and, and roads are good for cities, uh, and infrastructure is good for the economy. Next up, we have a question from your Houston board member, Beth Martin. Hello, it's been uh, like a head spinningly awesome discussion. So thank you so much. Um, you know, one of the issues that I think is a catch all is quality of life. Um, I think that that is one of those things that's a very effective way about talking about a lot of these priorities that we fight over, um, whether it's because we're part of different regions of Houston or we care about transportation more than flood mitigation or whatever. Um, in your experience, is there, have you seen that some of these projects win more either community support or formula funding because we're talking about quality of life issues when we are advocating for them? Just can you speak on that? Is quality of life something that, is, that can be measured or used um, to get more, more support in general? I'll jump in. Um... Let me just say the formulas, no. Um, the formulas are the formulas once in a while, and, and unless you have a very significant position in the um, uh, committees, um, the, the committee chairman or something like that, you really don't want the formulas messed with um, until you are in a position of, of power and control. Yep. We aren't, um, not just Houston, Texas. Yep. Um, so formulas, not so much. Um, a, a way to tell the story of quality of life, I think, is a, um, a measurable tool when we go after these discretionary plans. So I do think that's a, that's a great point. And, and it's, a, it's one of those things that a corporate leader once told me, I'm competing for some of the most talented young people and trying to attract them to jobs in Houston from across the world. And they, they can pretty much choose because they're the the top of their class, they can choose any city they want to go to, but they're looking for things that are quality of life enhancements that, that they want to be able to do. They want to be able to uh, have a park and ride transit. They want to be able to go to a, um, a park. They want to have all those amenities and think points that are quality of life issues that you have to have if you're going to grow um, and, and compete. I mean, we're in a very competitive environment with not just cities in the U.S., but worldwide. So um, I think quality of life is a critical element, um, but we've got to help shape that story. And I, I think the story is, is is a critical part because you may all experience this too when I travel and say where I'm from, so you go, what? Oh my gosh, it must be horrible. You know? <laughs> yeah. 
you know, and I'm like, well, what do you mean? Well, you have all this, all that flooding, and you have all this other stuff. I'm like, have you ever been there? No, I've never been there. It's like, come on down, come on down. And people have actually come here and spent a little time in the city. They find some really, there's some nice stories that we could tell that we don't. Uh, now, we still have a ton of work to do. Don't get me wrong. We've got a lot of work to do. But we've made huge advances recently in, in some of those. And I think that if we could, if we could find a way to, to, to have some of those stories shared, um, I think that that would be, uh, you know, you know, really helpful. It doesn't help with the formula funding stuff. Um, it really doesn't. Is there a tour, tourism piece to HEAC? So we have looked at that as part of our economic development initiative. Um, and the Greater Houston Partnership focuses a lot on um, some of that stuff, um, as, as was mentioned um, earlier. So we aren't crowding that space right now. But as we look at economic development in the future, the uh, uh, tourism is important, A, for people to come visit us from outside the region, but even locally, you know, Houston's growing. And if someone wants to take an hour, an hour drive could and the be- the example to talk goes beyond just tourism. Yeah. Let's deal with the reasons of why HPE came to Houston. We yeah. talked about the diversity of the community. Right, exactly. The diversity, the richness. That, that's the heart and soul of this city. The mayor says it all the time, but the president of HPE has made a couple of speeches already. Yeah. The reason he came to this city was the diversity of this community. Yeah. Okay. I'd like to, to talk on uh, quality of life going a little bit different of a direction. And uh, what I'd like to go with is that the number one determinant of happiness in a person's life, and this is that it's across the world, it's the same thing as access to good paying jobs. Yep. Uh, so when we create good paying jobs in Houston, uh, we create a good quality of life for everyone. And I think that that is a real opportunity to differentiate applications for non-formula uh, uh, proposals. Yep. If we, we are ground zero for the energy transition, and uh, there are a lot of people who would love to see it fail. Uh, but if we could have a plan that shows not only do, does Houston have a plan, but the plan includes how we move people from some conventional industries into some new industries, and we've gone beyond just thinking about training, like we actually have gone and talked to the people who have hired and have uh, uh, the HR departments on board, which uh, Green Opportunities to the Mayor's Office of Complete Communities is doing fantastic work there. Uh, if we go and we promote the jobs in the communities and we show that we have a plan to, to totally transform and revitalize the economy, we're creating jobs that you know, lift all Houstonians as a whole. I think that that is a story that you put a put a story in the New York Times on uh, uh, in December saying Houston has a plan with these elements in it, so that uh, Pete Buttigieg and uh, Secretary Granholm read it. Okay, and put that out there, work the plan, and then around you know April or May, have a Wall Street Journal that says Houston had a plan, and this is the return on the plan. These are, this is how the people. Are going to move into this new economy. If, if that kind of thing happened, we would be so far ahead of where we would otherwise be. Dare I say, we might be ahead of others in getting funding because you know they would be looking, they'd be hearing from us and our delegation that we have a plan and this is what it looks like. They'd read in the papers we have a plan, this is what it looks like, and it sounds like exactly the kind of thing that this administration 
wants to see happen. So that's my uh, answer on quality of life. And I think it's about jobs first and foremost. Everything else is great, but uh, focus. But, on it, but it starts to change that perception yep. issue, right? Yep. Which is so, so critical. Yes. And red and blue like jobs. Yes. Everybody yes. likes jobs. Everyone likes jobs. So before I go to our final question from the board, uh, one comment that is, as an immigrant, when I go overseas, people ask me what's different about Houston. I say, this is the most non-Texan town in Texas. It's very <laughs> cosmopolitan. It's very international. It's very diverse. You've got to really come to Houston to realize that this is really different than the rest of Texas. Uh, final question that I have is probably a difficult question, is how can Houston region work together? And we have touched on this. But Michael, you and I were talking about this last night. How can Houston region work together in a bipartisan way to draw upon our fair share of infrastructure money and more, if we can? And before you answer, one idea that we discussed last night, and Andy, I really want you to champion that because Houston is the capital of the region. Maybe if mayor of Houston can convince the county judges of all 11 or 13 counties to sign some kind of a declaration that we are united and we're gonna to work together as a region to secure this funding and have a united approach. Like New Jersey does, or like Southern California does, or Bay Area does. So how can we cut through this politics and work in a bipartisan way? Michael, I'll start with you. Yeah, we, we did talk about that and I alluded to it earlier. I also spoke to Turner about it and he's supportive of the idea. So the idea is a proclamation uh, starting with uh, Mayor Turner, uh, Chair of Climate Mayors, uh, President of the African American Mayors Association. I think he, he's a, a recognized leader across the country. The, the proclamation has to be some uh, sort of statement of a, uh, a, a vision a common vision that the other county judges could accept uh, and get on board with. And I think it should be aligned with economic development and uh, community connectivity. Uh, so I think that, you know, coming back to ways that people can help, you know, somebody's, we're going to need somebody to help draft that. And would love to find a volunteer who would like to, uh, maybe someone with a bright mind, like, like this guy we had here earlier, uh, would like to take a crack. Uh, but it's going to be, uh, I've put together support letters and joint support letters uh, together in the past. That's worked too. Um, but through that work, we can perhaps arrive at a common vision. And if we can have a common vision among our uh, elected leaders, uh, that, that's a long way towards getting uh, private companies on board, taking that to the GHB. So uh, I'll describe a somewhat contrary position. I think. We can all get on board easily on concepts and ideas and saying we're working together until we have good solid projects that are supported by the community that we know how we can get them done and the funding is what's needed we've got to do that and we've got to engage the community of what are those priority of those projects and how do we put them together yeah i, I would agree as much as we'd like to say let's let's all agree to get a certain amount of money the, the money is to be tied to projects. And if the projects uh, are, are what the community wants to see, and if the projects are what works for, for everybody and assembly of them works well together and you have leadership, you can, you can get there. 
which are so, thank you. So, uh, you know, I got a lot of credit today that, you know, I've done this or that, but our you know, Houston really depends on Mario, uh, who is the executive director, and we would be happy to provide the forum. So this is going to be a continuing forum. Uh, but I must acknowledge that this whole thing was started by Bill Baldwin. So, so Bill, you uh, made an effort to form your Houston, and that's why we are all here, and we've been at it for what two years now? Three years. Three now. years now. Nonpartisan advocacy for quality of life issues, where we can coordinate with one another to enhance the quality of life for all Houstonians in the region. So, I mean, that's really what it's about. So, so, so that's the question I have. It just, Bill, I've, I've been at the table with you for on this for quite a while. I'm Eileen Egan. I'm with the New York West Mansion District. We don't have a church, but we are a ministry district. But the work that's going on with your Houston, how does that uh, support what we're talking about with this kind of regional uh, agreement to what our big goals are? Houston, we put together, we find passionate people are passionate about something. Uh, tenant notification uh, of flooding. I mean, that was a high priority for us or whatever because 53% of the people in the region were tenants and they did not have notification that their home flooded consistently. And we just felt like that was important that we push that at the local level, we pushed it at the state level. We also spoke at the legislature. It took a session or two to get there. We don't love the bill that we have, but it's better than no bill. So, that's a, you know, whether that's coordination of spreading dollars between the city and the county, and we have to go work with our city officials and county officials, those sort of things. We, we find like-minded people who are passionate about something. We produce a white paper, whether that's improved density. We're about improving density in certain areas because we feel like there's quality of life issues tied to that. We, we have a city policy that says by ordinance, and then acre land, you can have 27 homes, but I can build 500 Townhouse, I can go 500 apartments or 500 in a high rise. So the policy favors an apartment building or a high rise, right? It doesn't favor single family housing. And we know what housing cost of 27 units per acre. If you put 37 units per acre, they would get smaller and cheaper and they would be more affordable for people. But there's resistance to some neighborhoods for those sort of things. So we try and arrive at some issue, create a white paper then go after it. And, and I think most of these things are, yeah, someone has to be passionate about it. Someone has to do some of the hard work. That Tiger Grant thing on Shepherd, look, HEB was against it. When HEB is against it, look, Dan Crenshaw and the mayor aren't going to go fight HEB. You know what I have to go do? Talk to Scott McClellan and say, can you just be neutral? If you'll just be neutral for just a little bit, then people will get on board. And it took relationships. Yep. Coordination, persistency, don't give up. Don't if you don't make the first round of funding, maybe there's a second round of funding. Coordinate people, take people and connect the dots to how you're going to get there. That's what we try to do. Uh, and it's just these issues are really nonpartisan issues, and sometimes you just have to keep at it. We find that if people are not passionate about one of the issues. Look, your Houston doesn't have the energy to fight a battle that no one else is willing to fight. Someone's got to be willing to join us. And that's really what we look for. We found this issue because we're going to have that. We're going to have this money. Yeah. We will all benefit if we play well together in the sandbox. If we can bring people together, we will exponentially 
reap so many more rewards so the money can then be spent in so many different agreements and so this is just an example of what it is that we want to do we're not overly passionate about infrastructure we're passionate about better government transparency coordination the tram is overly passionate about infrastructure. There you go. So, we have a lot of people who are passionate about infrastructure to kind of join us and help us. Look, we don't have any large dues or anything. It's really just passionate people pulling together to work. Zaf continues to focus on our regional areas. And so, where we play well with Fort Bend and help Fort Bend work well with other areas, that's what we want to do. Where we can help the city work better with the county, that's what we want to do. So, that's really our focus. And if I, if I may add, we started out as a political action but we soon realized that no, we, want, we, can, do, we yeah. can do more good by being non profit advocacy. And we really want to be bipartisan, nonpartisan, and we'll do more of this. And you will get a report out of today's session. And we want to be a continuing forum. So we will meet over Zoom maybe once a year in person. And let's come together again and see what this scorecard is. Uh, Mario, you want to finish off? I'll just, one, thank the panel for yeah. being here and sharing all their thoughts and their time. We really appreciate it. And that was great information. And thank everyone who attended. Our board members. Our board members were here. We were joined by Eric Prokota, who was also on our board. Um, if you want to support our work, be a part of our work, you can become a member. You can scan this QR code that you see here or on a stanchion and it's a $40 a year commitment and that's the minimum and you're going to be plugged into the network. Uh, we will, now that we're doing in-person events, have little networking sessions uh, around topics with industry leaders, folks that are uh, in government or working on quality of life issues. Uh, we want to be facilitators, we want to be connectors, we want to bring resources together. Help that's, that's what we're about. Yeah. All right, thank you. Very good.